Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Verse 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. And then he starts with the firstborn. He says, Reuben, you were my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Reuben's like, this is going really well. I'm liking this so far. Keep, proceed, Father. Proceed. Verse 4, Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. That's what I picture. He's speaking to Reuben. He's like, You're awesome, but not any longer. Because you went into my couch. He did. He went into my couch. <laughs> like he, he changes who he's talking to there to make sure everybody in the room knows he, defi- he slept with Bilhah. You guys remember that? No, he doesn't really bring it up like that. But that's what's being said here. That's what's being alluded to here. See, Reuben, guys, Reuben is the tragic story of wasted potential. He's much like the other men who wasted so much potential. Samson, that dude had some potential. He was, he was the real live Thor, basically. Like the real live Thor. Or Hulk or whoever you prefer. Um, and he, he squandered his life. Esau was a man of great strength and great potential. And he squandered his, his potential as well. And you know what they squandered it on? Sexual immorality. Say, it's like the same story. You were firstborn. You were strong. You had all this ability to lead your people and your family and you wasted it and squandered it for a moment of sexual immorality. And, and, and really, really what happened was they didn't have the character or the integrity and it was revealed in their act of sexual immorality. But what could have been strength, what could have been might became instability for Reuben. And I want to tell you guys, for you men, you need to be very careful. You have potential, just as a man inherently, to lead. Because God has given you that influence. When you have kids, your kids look to you in a special way to lead. When you're an environment and you're a respectable man, you have the ability to lead. And many men aren't worth following because they're too concerned with their sex life. Many fathers have forfeited their ability to speak into their kids' futures because they were too busy committing adultery. So many men have wasted their potential on sexual immorality. So be aware. Reuben is a warning for us. Reuben is a warning. And tragically, the tribe of Reuben didn't accomplish anything from here on. The the legacy that he left seemed to impact the tribe of Reuben. In fact, no prophet, no judge, no king ever came out of Reuben. In fact, they had a reputation of just being about themselves. When they came into the promised land, the the people of Reuben wanted to stop short of the Jordan. They're like, we're we're just going to settle here. And God's like, no, you guys have to keep fighting 
everywhere else so until your brothers get their land too. And they're like, we're, we're going to stop right here. When it came time to call the nation to battle, the Reubenites didn't show up for battle. They had this reputation of being selfish and self-centered. They couldn't lead, and you can't lead with that attitude. You're not going to be an effective leader for the kingdom of God if you're self-serving. I will say this, though. They have a pretty good sandwich named after them. That's about all they have going for them, though. Verse 5, Simeon and Levi, he says, are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So if, if Reuben's legacy warns us about sexual immorality, Simeon and Levi's legacy warns us about the consequences of anger. Now, if you recall, these were the two brothers that teamed up and they were like, hey, let's get all the Shechemites circumcised. And then on the third day, when they're really hurting, you know what I'm saying? We will run up on them and slaughter them and kill them because they defiled Dinah, their sister. That was these two brothers. And that's what Jacob is recalling here. And like Reuben, these older brothers are also passed over for the, for the position of patriarch, the next patriarch, because of their lack of character. They would allow their anger to rule them. And realize this, it always comes back to character. That action was brought up, but that was a demonstration of what was happening in the heart, right? From the heart spring the issues of life. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your actions are merely a reflection of what's in your heart. And it's, Jesus talked about this. Jesus was talking to a bunch of Pharisees, actually. And these guys had that mentality. We're like, I'm doing really good. It's like, I, I never slept with another one. Well, I didn't commit adultery like Reuben, especially with my dad's concubine. That would have been weird. I've never done that. And Jesus is like, yeah, but if you've looked at a woman to lust for her, you've committed adultery in your heart. Well, yeah, but I've never, like, I've never killed a man. And I especially never slaughtered a whole village like Simeon and Levi. Yeah, but if you were wrongfully angry with your brother, you've murdered him in your heart. Isn't that interesting? Jesus uses those two examples, sexual immorality and anger, to reveal to you your, your sin in, the sin in your heart. And these are two significant sins. They really are. And they kept both, all three uh, oldest sons of Jacob from being the uh, primogenitor, the fancy word of being the next patriarch. In, in succession of Jacob. Verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. Now, when it says until tribute, a better translation is until Shiloh comes. It shall not depart until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in blood of grapes. 
His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. I don't know if you're surprised, but Judah's the one that's given the role of the, the predecessor to Jacob. Does that surprise you? If you were with us when we studied the chapter on Tamar, it should. When he actually um, withholds from his daughter-in-law, his son, that should have gone to him, and then sleeps with her thinking she's a prostitute, and then catches her that she's pregnant and then wants to burn her and then realizes, oh, he was the one that got her pregnant. That was Judah. He's certainly not perfect. By this time, though he is still very flawed, he's actually become the unspoken leader of the family. At least it seems, as we've read through Genesis, he's been the spokesman as they've stood before Joseph. It's, it was Judah who would talk on behalf of the, of the brothers and family. Jacob, was, Jacob trusted Judah with Benjamin. He wouldn't, remember, he wouldn't trust Reuben. And then Judah came forth and said, let me take care of Benjamin. And he let him go. And then, of course, Judah did uh, exemplify sacrificial leadership when he took Benjamin's place to be arrested. He said, let me take his place. So we do see these qualities of leadership being, taken, uh, being exercised in Judah's life. But I think we probably would all agree here that option A, the best option would have been Joseph, right? Like the stellar man of God, amazing administrative gifts, and just this ability to endure in the faith despite whatever he faces. I mean, I would have picked Joseph, right? But God didn't. God picked B, option B. If he was option B, there might have been other better options than, than Judah. And again, God, God's ways are not our ways. This reminded me just, just to not assume that I know what's best, that I need to be open-handed as God is moving in my life. I might be option A. And God's like, mm, yeah, but I'm not really interested, Sean. I might be option B or C. And God's like, eh. Or he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I think you are the one. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I don't want to assume that I know my place fully or anyone else's place for that matter. And in t- over time, God does prove things out. It amazes me that, that Jacob didn't even struggle to give Judah um, the patriarchal leadership position. Because he, J- Joseph was his favorite son. Joseph was most qualified. Joseph just saved the whole family from death. But he's like, no, this is of the Spirit of God. It's Judah. This is of the Spirit of the Lord. Now, this has a very, very significant prophecy in it that I want to cover, okay? It says that in Judah shall be given the law, the scepter. This meant that the tribe of Judah, there would be someone in the tribe of Judah who would judge the nation. And that the law over Israel would be conducted by the tribe of Judah. That Israel as a nation could govern themselves according to their own law and it would be through someone of, the Ju- of, the, of Judah's tribe. This didn't start until King David. When King David took the throne, Judah received the scepter and it continued on throughout Israel's lifespan. Even in Babylonian captivity, even when other rulers uh, were, were ruling the nation of Israel. These rulers still allowed Israel to govern themselves according to their own laws, and they still had someone of Judah be a judge among them. That is until the Romans came along. The Romans in the year 7 AD, AD 7, 
came to, to the Jews and said, you are no longer allowed to perform capital punishment. And they took away Israel's ability to govern them, themselves and, and, and dictate by their own laws and judge by their own laws. And it was said that in the streets, rabbis were walking through crying, woe to us, for the scepter has departed. The scepter has been removed and Messiah has not come. Now, of course, this says the scepter will not depart until Shiloh comes. Now, Shiloh is an interesting word. It means tranquility, but it also speaks of a person. In the ESV, what we have here, it's translated um, tribute. But what it really means is the one to whom tribute is due. The one to whom, the one who will bring peace is what it speaks of. And historically, rabbis and scholars and early, even early Christian fathers uh, saw this as a prophetic uh, term for the Messiah, Shiloh. And so, when the scepter departed in, in Rome in 7 AD, in the kingdom of Rome, there in Israel, Jesus was a young man. Jesus would have been walking the streets as the rabbis lamented, the scepter has departed. Where is the Messiah? And Jesus has been like, I see what's happening. So very, very significant, very significant prophecy. Verse 13, it says, Zebulun shall dwell at the, at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall be Sidon. We're just going to kind of get through these here. Verse 14, Issachar is a strong donkey, crouching between sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good, and that land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall, be, shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. And then he says, I will wait, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. So he's prophesying about Dan, and he says, you'll be like a serpent. And serpents aren't typically associated with anything good or healthy. Some people think, well, maybe this means that Dan's going to be, they're going to be small, but they're going to be very good militarily speaking. Uh, what we see as far as track record of Dan is that they were heavily involved in the idolatry of Israel. When the kingdom split and Jeroboam took ten tribes north and ruled, he said, you know what? I don't want to lose any of my constituents. I'm, I'm going to... Because they would have to go down to Judah still to worship at the temple. That was where God wanted them to worship. And Jeroboam said, nah, I don't want to lose anybody just because they go down to worship. So we're going to make our own altar up here. And so they made a false altar and Israel worshipped at that false altar and that altar was in, in Dan. It was built in the proximity of the land of Dan. So Dan had this reputation. Now where was another serpent in the Scriptures? In Genesis. Tempting them to idolatry. So I wonder too if, if, if as the Spirit of God is speaking through Jacob here and he calls Dan the serpent, if he doesn't, if, if the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel shared, doesn't come to his mind thinking about the serpent. And then he says, I wait for your salvation, Lord. A kind of a random statement in the middle of his prophecies. I wait for your salvation. It's like he breaks into prayer. Lord, I'm, I'm waiting for your salvation. And 
law of first occurrences, this is the first time salvation is mentioned in the Bible. And you know what that word is in the Hebrew? Salvation? It's Yeshua. Yeshua. Joshua. Remember Joshua? The guy that actually took them into the promised land? Not Moses. It was salvation. It was Joshua. But of course, you know what the Greek name for Joshua is, right? It's Jesus. He says Jesus right here. He's like, I wait for Jesus. Of course, he didn't know Jesus. He, he was saying salvation, but looking back, we understand the fulfillment of this. He's preaching the gospel, reminding his sons of the gospel. Verse 19, Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich. He shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. And then he gets into Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you, with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, uh, the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. So Joseph would not be given patriarchal leadership. And I wonder if he was disappointed. I wonder if he didn't expect it at all. He doesn't seem to be disappointed. But he would be given the double portion as the firstborn would. And he would be the most blessed out of all of them. Verse 27, it says, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field, uh, with the field from Ephron, the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. There I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. And that ends the, the long life of Jacob. And he's been a a huge player, an amazing man of God, an example, not without fault, but definitely someone to look to as an example of faith. And he took a lot of trips in his life, back and forth, right? This town and that town and moving around when they got back to the promised land even. And he uh, now embarks on the greatest trip of all as he passes through the veil of death into eternity. And with his last words, he chose them wisely. He, he spoke of salvation. He spoke of the promises of God. And 
you know, as I think of my deathbed conversations, if I should be fortunate enough to have those, I'd want to use my last words to do the same. You know, to point people to Jesus, to give them the gospel, to make sure that they knew the way to salvation. Guys, because death is a journey. It is. And there are two destinations. And in closing, guys, as we close out tonight, I I want to make sure that you know that you're headed in the right direction. Because the reality, guys, it's, it's very similar to an airport. Many of you guys have flown. You sit in that airport terminal. That's life. Life is like a giant oversized airport terminal with a whole lot of baggage that we got to carry around and a bunch of overpriced hamburgers and $12 Dasani water bottles. That's life. <laughs> Welcome to life. Right? And we're all, waiting. we're all waiting for our departures. We are. We all know it's coming. Your departure and my departure, we are all going to die one day. Unless the rapture happens, we are going to die. And let me tell you, our departure dates are typically all different dates, different times, and no one can go with you. You will be utterly alone when you stand before the Lord. And as we wait for these departure dates, you need to understand, there are only two destinations that these planes are taking us. An eternal heaven, a paradise, a place where God's glory resides, where pleasures flow from His right hand forevermore, where we dwell with our Maker, the one who loves us the most and knows us best and cares for us best. Heaven, eternally, forever in the presence of God. And the other destination is eternal hell. The Bible speaks of hell as a place of torment where the smoke of those who are there rise forever and ever. Where they're punished from the presence of the Lord. It is a place where the blessings that are enjoyed on earth and in heaven are not experienced in hell. And those, that's it. Those are the two options that we see. And I want to tell you guys, there are a lot of ways to go to hell. A lot. As you're hanging out in this terminal... Every stand you stop at, every, every place you go to sit down, there's a ticket to hell. And let's be real, every single one of us have had a, a stack full in our back pocket. That ticket has been punched for us. For every single one of us. The Bible says broad is the way that leads to destruction. And it says many are they who go by it. The masses who don't think, who don't consider eternity who don't stop to wonder what God might want, flow like dead fish down the river into hell. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. But he said, Jesus said, but narrow is the path that leads to life and few who find it. There's only one way. It's very narrow to get into heaven. Very narrow. But narrow is very simple. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to heaven is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Receiving Him as your Lord and your Savior personally. You have to do that. You have to go to Him personally. Just like you got to go to that little ticket booth and buy a ticket personally for yourself, you need to go to Jesus. 
and you need to do business with Jesus. And the amazing thing is, as you go to the Lord, it costs nothing from you to get a ticket to heaven. He paid the price in full for you to be able to go to heaven. Oh, it will require your allegiance to Him for the rest of your life. He wants your life. He wants your love. He wants a relationship with you. So there may be costs involved, but not to go to heaven. He has freely offered that to you. It requires you to take that, that stack of tickets to hell and put it on the table there and exchange them. Lay down everything that you know would be leading you to that path of destruction. You leave it there with Christ and He exchanges it for eternal life. He gives you the hope of heaven. He gives you salvation. But you have to go to Him personally to do this. And I want to tell you guys, I have my ticket. I'm not perfect, but Jesus is my Savior. I know it. I love Him. And more importantly, Jesus loves me. And I know where I'm going. And if I, if I said anything on my deathbed, I'd want to say it a million times before I got there. And that is, you need to get that ticket too. You need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. For those of you who do have this ticket, you know Jesus Christ. Don't trade that ticket for anything this world offers you. Oh, it's, and the devil is going to come and the enemy is going to come and try to offer you anything he can to get you to trade that ticket. Don't do it. You're going to have times where it's tempting. You're going to have times in your life where it's, it's very tempting to compromise your relationship with Christ for something that you want in the world. Do not do it. I don't care how valuable that thing looks that Satan is tempting you with. There's nothing more valuable than that ticket that you possess to heaven. There's nothing more valuable than your relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the most prized possession anyone could ever have, is a relationship with the living God. More valuable than anything in this world. And it's the only way to get to heaven. It's the only way. It's the only way to be reunited with your loved ones in Christ. It's the only certain hope that has been made available. And I want to tell you, if you don't have this ticket, if you don't know where you're going to go when you die, if you have not done business with the Lord, you've got a, a stack of tickets to hell in your back pocket. It's so important that you, you receive salvation. You cannot do it by sitting in church. You cannot do it by listening to a thousand sermons. You have to do personal business with the Lord. You have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised Him from the dead. You have to receive Him personally as Savior and change the way you live. It will not happen through osmosis. And so if you have never done business, if you have never communicated that to Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says today if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. Reason being, you might not get another chance. You might not hear God's voice speaking to your heart the way He's speaking to you right now. So you need to take care of that right now. If you haven't made certain of your eternal destination, guys, have the wisdom to do that and receive Jesus. Let's all stand and let's pray. But I realize there are many who don't have that assurance. There are many, maybe even in here tonight, who are terribly afraid of death because they have no idea what's going to happen that they've never received the hope or the assurance or maybe even the knowledge 
of the good news of Jesus Christ. But they're hearing it now, Lord God. And so I pray, God, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would give them the courage and the wisdom to take the next step to commit themselves to you, to receive salvation right here and now, and have their eternities sealed, have their eternal destination, eternal address changed forever, that you would draw them to yourself, Lord. In Jesus' name. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for listening. If you're hearing this and you'd like to give your life to the Lord now, I invite you to take the next step. Text the words, Ready for Jesus, to 94000, and we can follow up with you. One of our leaders will be able to contact you and get you some free resources to help you grow in the faith. We invite you to come out to our in-person services every Thursday evening at Calvary Tucson's East Campus in the coffee shop area. We meet at 6.30 p.m. for coffee, and our service starts at 7 p.m. In the meantime, keep reading, keep praying, and keep worshiping. God bless you.